0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Praise be to God. Right. Well, if you couldn't tell a couple minutes ago, I'm a little distracted this morning. Uh, just like things kept popping up right before the service, and so my, my mind got a little distracted. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me one more time uh, before we jump into, uh, into the sermon today. God, thank you for the privilege that it is to carry your word, the privilege it is to be called yours, uh, and to speak your gospel, to speak your words, and Holy Spirit, Fix our eyes and our attention on Jesus this morning. Fix our eyes and attention on you and all that you have for us. And I pray that you'd open our hearts. Lord, speak through me. Speak through my mouth. God, speak into the hearts of everyone in this room. And equip us, Lord, to live for you today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. We're in this hymn. About Jesus. Now, as we've been walking through this series, we've been talking about our our mission and our values as a church. And so we've gone through our mission statement, we gather, we grow together, we go with the gospel. Uh, And now we're into our family values. The very first value we hold as a church is that it's Jesus first. I said this some weeks ago. If you ever attend a church or you visit a church or you check out a church and you can't tell who Jesus is to these people, very, very quickly walk away walk away. Jesus ought to be so fundamental to us. He, he ought to be so defining of who we are. He ought to be so central in our affections and everything that we do, that there is no question about who Jesus is to us from the moment that you meet us, from the moment that we gather together. If you can't tell who Jesus is real quick, get out, because he's not the center of their affections. And that's what we want to be. Now, we aspire to that. And unfortunately, is he's not always right at the center of our lives, right? He's not always at the center of our affections. Other things cloud our way. They cloud our minds. And so the, I want to start with a question. Who is Jesus to you? Not in the meta sense, not in the like overarching sense. Most Christians would say, Jesus is my Savior and the Lord. And then you watch their decisions, you watch their lives, and you go, is that true? Really? And look, this is not me calling other people out because Lord knows you watch me long enough. There's going to come a time where you're like, Brandon, I don't know that Jesus was the center for you today. And so when I ask who is Jesus to you, I'm asking in the nitty gritty, in the everyday decisions that you make, in the moment by moment daily life that you live, who is Jesus to you? Could I tell who Jesus is to you based on the simple decisions that you make, based on the way you make decisions? Could I tell who Jesus is to you by observing your life for a day, a week, a month? Who's Jesus to you in the moment by moment of daily life? Because it's who Jesus is to us in those moments that's who he is to us in the meta story of our lives. It's all too easy to speak big words about God. It's all too easy to speak big words about Jesus and yet not let him have control and reign over the day-to-day. Not let him be who he is in the day-to-day to To try and wrest control from him, to try, try and take our decisions back from Jesus our Lord. And yet if Jesus is our Savior and Lord, if he is everything that he claimed to be, then it's our role to give authority to him in everything that we do. To let him truly have first place in everything, as our scripture says today. Now, maybe you've come in here and you're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. Like, I don't even really know who Jesus is to me in the meta. Like, I don't know who he is in history. I'm, I'm still seeking, I'm still figuring that out. And that's okay. And if you're still figuring out who Jesus is for you, that's okay. And if you're a Christian today and you are one of those people who would claim Jesus as Lord and yet not give him authority over every decision, that's okay too. There's grace for that. When we say Jesus is first, we're not saying we're going to be perfect in following him every day, every way, in every single moment. But what we're saying is we're growing in relationship with him. We're growing in submission to him. We're growing in allowing him to be everything to us That the scriptures claim that he is. And so that's who we're going to examine today. Who is Jesus according to the scriptures? Is he really worth following? I mean, a lot of people who grow up in the church still ask that question. Is he even worth following? Does it it even make a difference? And I think our text today has something to tell us about that. Back in 1952, uh, C.S. Lewis published the book Mere Christianity. Now, this was a book that was based on some talks that he had given on the radio over the British airwaves in, during World War II. The BBC decided, you know, the people need some hope. They're being blitzed, they're being bombed, they're losing hope. And so they allowed C.S. Lewis to go on air and to speak about Christianity. To try and instill some hope in people who had just been beaten down. And so in the late 40s, and the mid-40s, as World War II was raging and as London was being bombed, C.S. Lewis is speaking the truth of Christ over the airwaves, over the BBC. And these talks that he gave became the book Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis shares with us what became known as the trilemma. i got to grab my phone here to get this quote. He wasn't the first person to articulate this, but but he said it most popularly. So if you've heard this argument before, it's probably from C.S. Lewis. And here's what he writes in the book. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus of the gospel, the Jesus of history said some things that if you really believe him, if you really take him at his word, would eliminate him from the class of great moral teacher. He said things that equated himself with God. He said things that... that in his own culture, should have gotten him killed. In fact, they did get him killed. Now, there's one more option. This is popularly called the Lord, liar, or lunatic argument. Jesus is either Lord, or he's a liar, or he's crazy. The other option is he's a legend. It's possible that Jesus is just a myth, that all this was made up. C.S. Lewis actually addresses that somewhere else. He says, I've read a lot of mythology, C.S. Lewis was a scholar of mythology, in case you wondered. hes I've read a lot of mythology, and the Gospels don't read anything like mythology. They're too messy, they're too weird, and they skip over too many things that mythology finds important. I can't read them as anything but history. This is from a scholar of mythology. And so Lewis addresses that elsewhere. So if Jesus isn't a legend, and if he's not lying, straight up lying, and if he's not absolutely crazy, then Jesus was who he said he was, and he is who he says he is. We've got to take him at his word for it. We've got to take him at face value. And the question then is, who is this Jesus? If we are going to take him at face value, if we're going to take him for his word, if we're going to believe the scriptures about who Jesus is, then who is he? And that's why we turn to Colossians today. Because these verses, 15 to 20, a lot of scholars think these were an early hymn. These were a hymn of the church. It would be sung when followers of Jesus gathered together to remind themselves of who Jesus is. To remind themselves of exactly who he claimed to be and who he was to them. To root themselves in their identity as followers of Jesus, they would sing this hymn together. And so we turn here, because it's built on what Jesus said about himself, and it's built on what he taught his apostles and those who would follow him. And so we start in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this hymn is structured in such a way that verse 15 makes a claim, and then verses 16 and 17 back up that claim, and then verse 18 makes a claim, and verses 19 and 20 back up that claim. And so these two claims that are made about Jesus in this hymn is first, that he's the firstborn over all creation. The second claim will be that he is the firstborn from among the dead. That word firstborn is used twice in this hymn, and it breaks it into two parts to create this kind of dichotomy, this kind of of dualism about Jesus. So on the first part, we look at Jesus as the firstborn over all creation. He begins with, he is the image of the invisible God, Firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? Well, the hymn goes on to explain, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So you see how verses 16 and 17 explain the claim made in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That means he has authority over everything. Now, it's easy to look at verse 15 and go, well, doesn't that mean Jesus is like the first created thing? Yeah, he's important, but he's firstborn. If he's firstborn, doesn't that mean he's like made, that he's created? And the answer is no. There are two things that tell us no here. First is that he's the image of the invisible God. Now, the Greek word for image here is icon. Literally, it's In Greek, it's icon, and then in English, we translate that to icon. Jesus is the icon of God. He is the image of God. He is what shows us God. Another way of saying that is Jesus is the idol of God. Whoa, hold up, hold up. Idols are bad, right? We don't worship idols. But biblically, an idol is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. That's what an idol is. That's why people would worship idols. People didn't actually believe that the golden image they were worshiping was the thing they were worshiping. The golden image was an image of the spiritual being they were worshiping. The idol that they created was supposed to be a representation of the heavenly being that they were worshiping. So when we read here that Jesus is the icon of God, he's the idol of God, what we're saying is he is the physical representation of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. The great reformer Martin Luther said, and I've said this a lot because it's my absolute favorite quote, The great reformer Martin Luther said, anything we imagine of God apart from Christ is useless thinking and vain idolatry. If your God doesn't look like Jesus, he's not the God who is. If your God doesn't look like Jesus, he's not the God who exists. And a good good backup for that is right here in verse 15 when we read that Jesus is the icon of God. He's the physical manifestation, the physical representation of the invisible God who we cannot see. He is God on earth. He's the firstborn over all creation. Now, this word for firstborn here just means that he takes preeminence. He is the chief. He is primary. He is above and beyond absolutely everything. He is the firstborn of God. He has given all of the authority of God over everything. And then when the song goes on to explain what that means, we learn that everything is created by him and for him. Jesus is the agent of creation, of the earth, of the created order that we see around us, of the trees and the mountains and the woodlands and the beauty of our world. But that he's also the creator of thrones and dominions and of nations. Jesus has all authority over everything. Jesus is the God over all the world. Jesus is God in the flesh, nothing less than God himself. This is who Jesus is to us. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. If Jesus stopped his work, the world falls apart. If Jesus ever stopped, if Jesus ever said, no, I'm done with these people, I'm just, I'm finished with it, the world would end as we know it. He is the one who holds all things together. This is the God we worship. This is the Jesus who we say is at the center of our affections. This is the Jesus who is first for us. Now, here's the thing. In the ancient world, to make this claim about someone wasn't necessarily weird or out there. Wasn't necessarily unique. There are lots of gods in the ancient world. Today, there are lots of gods in the world. There are lots of religions that worship a god. And many of them would say exactly this about their God. And so what differentiates Jesus then? Because this tells us nothing about his character other than that he's holding everything together. What we read here doesn't actually tell us how he approaches the world that he made, just that he made it. It doesn't tell us how he rules the world, just that he does. And so you could assume a lot of different things about it. Right? We've got a lot of rulers in the world. Most of them ain't good ones. We've had a lot of rulers throughout history. Most of them haven't been great. There have been a lot of religions and a lot of gods throughout history. Most of them have not been people you would want to know or that you would want in authority over you. And so what distinguishes Jesus from any of them? Well, based on these first verses, nothing. He's got all authority. He is the agent by which everything was created. And if you take that last verse at face value, that everything was created by him and for him, then you must think this dude's got caught a big head. I mean, this guy's just some arrogant sky fairy who just wants you to worship him, or he's going to smite you down. You can walk away from these verses with that impression. And you can go, that's not a God I would want to worship. Thank God for these next verses. And that's why this hymn flows the way that it does. You make that first claim about Jesus. He is God himself. He is the image of God. He is the authority and ruler over all things. He is the agent of creation, and he's the one who holds it all together, and everything was made for him. And now we come to the next part, which is the good, good news. Because now we learn the character of this God that he's not authoritarian, he's not a dictator, he's not there to squash you and to crush you and to rob you of your riches. Instead, we read he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now now think about that for a minute. Think about what was just linked together here. He is the firstborn from among the dead so that he might have first place in everything. What are you allowing to be first in your life? Who are you allowing to be first in your life and in your affections? What thing is at the center of your being? What thing is driving who you are? And then ask, did that thing give itself up for you? Did that thing ever die for you? Did that thing ever sacrifice for you? Did whatever it is that sits at the center of your affections, did whatever it is that has first place in your life ever give itself up for you? Because this hymn just makes the claim that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead so that he may have first place in everything. What the scriptures are telling us is clear. Jesus is worthy of being first place because he put himself last. Jesus is worthy of having first place because he gave up his life for us he's worthy of taking first place because he has sacrificed if Jesus were the ruler with the rod of iron who came just to smite and to put us down and to demand our worship and to take everything from us and never to give never to love never to welcome us he wouldn't be worthy of our affections But here, Jesus is given first place precisely because he is the firstborn from among the dead. Precisely because he's given his life up and taken it up again. Because he's been resurrected. And here we have the explanation in verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This Jesus by whom all things were created, for whom all things were created, this Jesus who has authority over all the earth, over all created things, over all the thrones and powers and rulers of the world, made peace with his enemies through his shed blood. Jesus took his authority, he took up his place as king of all things by way of a cross and a tomb. Jesus, the very one who is the author of life, the very one who allows us to have the breath that we do, the very one by whom we were created, for whom we were created, came and lived life as one of us, and ultimately, died upon that cross in order to give us life, and that's what makes him worthy of our affection. A lot of people, especially in the Western world, in the American world, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people really don't like authority. You know, they don't want authority over them. I'm going to reject authority. I am autonomous. I am an autonomous being. I make my decisions for myself. I am the ultimate. In my affection, I am the ultimate. In my plans, I am the one that I live for. And don't tell me how to live. I'm happy to take your salvation, Jesus, but don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. And a lot of times we're afraid of authority because we're afraid it's not going to be as good for us as our own decisions are for ourselves. We don't want to receive authority. We don't want to fall under authority because we're afraid that whatever authority we come under is not going to have plans as good for us as we have for ourselves. I can run my life better than anybody else. I don't need to submit to anybody or anything. But only let that authority die on your behalf. Only let that authority rescue you from all that would stand against you. Only let that one who has all power and all authority lay down his life on your behalf. And oh, how things changed then. The God who authored life and who ultimately gave up his life for us is the only one worthy of all of our loyalty and allegiance. He's the only one worthy to set our paths, to set our life. He's the only one worth imitating with everything that we are. He's the only one worth following and giving up everything to because the God who would die for me has better intentions for me than I do for myself. The God who would live and die for me is the God who will lead me into life. This is what it means that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He is our guarantee of resurrection. He is our guarantee of eternal life. He is our guarantee of overcoming this thing called death. He's our guarantee that no power and no authority and no enemy of this world can ultimately stand opposed to me because he is on my side. He's the only one worth fully identifying with because he's the only God who ever died for me. I was once leading a Bible study, a Friday night Bible study at a rescue mission, and I had guys coming. It was great. We had a good time. We were working our way through the first four chapters of Revelation. I wasn't going to go through the whole thing with them because, whoo, but you know, the first four chapters I could get through. And we were at the beginning of Revelation. Now, we just went through Revelation, so y'all better remember this, right? At the beginning of Revelation, you get this vision of Jesus. Jesus appears to the Apostle John and shows himself in all his glory. And at the beginning, at the beginning of one of our Bible study sessions, I said, if your God did not come to earth as Jesus Christ and die for you, then he's not the God who exists. I had a couple Muslim guys in this class, and they, whoa, hold up, hold up, Brandon, whoa. We liked you. We really did. This was fun, but you can't say that. And in all love and all care, I have to say that's that's just what the scripture says. No other God ever died for you. No other God ever laid down his life for you. No other God loved you so much that he wrapped himself in flesh and went to a cross on your behalf, rose again to guarantee your resurrection, and unites the people around him in self-sacrificial love. No other God has ever done that. And if whatever God you believe in, whatever God you follow, whether it has a a name or whether it's money or your stomach or your wealth or your fame or your security or your children or your family or whatever, whatever other God you want to give yourself to did not give itself for you and is not worthy of first place in your life. That's who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus is exclusive. That's why Jesus can say, No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Jesus can make these outrageous, crazy claims that if they weren't true, make him a liar or a lunatic. But if we believe them, then he must be our Lord. And according to this hymn, according to the scriptures, he can be our Lord precisely because he gave himself up for us. Precisely because he loved us to the point of his own death. The author of life, the one who spoke life, the one who holds all things together experienced the ultimate unraveling of life. Experienced death on our behalf. No other God's ever done that for you. No other God is worthy of our worship. No other God is worthy of our dedication. No other God Of any kind is worthy of giving our whole selves to. Today is the day to commit ourselves anew to Jesus Christ. To ask ourselves, who is Jesus, not just in the meta story of my life, not just as a ticket out of hell or into heaven or whatever you believe about the afterlife. Who is Jesus to me in the everyday decisions that I make? Who is Jesus to to me? in the relationships that I hold. Who is Jesus to me in the nitty-gritty of my daily life? Is he at the center? Does Jesus have first place in everything? Am I living according to his example? Am I living in a way that brings heaven to bear on the world around me right now, just as Jesus did? Am I living in a way that, that pursues his purposes? Am I living according to his character? You see, in this Book of Colossians in this letter to the church in Colossae, the Apostle Paul begins with this hymn because he wants to root everything that he's about to say in who Jesus is so that when Paul tells the Colossian church, hey guys, you got to live this way, they know that Paul is encouraging them to live as Jesus is calling them to live. And so in chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, this is what the Apostle Paul says to them. Therefore, As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity." And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the character of Christ. This is the character of Jesus in which we are called to live. This is what it means for Jesus to have first place in everything in our lives. To do everything in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. To put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To put on love and to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. This is what it means for Jesus to have first place in our lives individually and in our lives as a body following him. This is what it means for Jesus to be the head of our church. Christ community, I desire nothing more than for Jesus to be the head of us as a body and of all of us individually. I desire nothing more than for Jesus to be the center of our beings, for him to have first place in everything, and for everything we do individually and together as a family to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only then will we be worthy of being called a church of Jesus Christ. Only then will we be truly living into the identity as the family of God that Jesus has called us together to be. Jesus must be the center. And if today you don't know him, If today you've not surrendered to him, if today is the day that you've come and you've said, I didn't know who Jesus was to me before I walked in here, but today's the day that you feel that yearning to know him, then today's the day to surrender to him. Or maybe you've been in the church your whole life and you realize today Jesus isn't the center. Jesus isn't first place in everything. I haven't been pursuing his character as laid out for me. I haven't let him have authority in all of the nitty gritty of my daily life, then today is the day to surrender to Jesus. Today is the day to receive his salvation. Today is the day to know that Jesus is your king. He is your Lord. He is your savior. He is the master, and he will have first place in everything. Today is the day we declare individually and together that Jesus is first place in our lives. And then it's only when Jesus is first place that everything else falls into place. It's only when Jesus is first place that I can then love as he's called me to love. I am better at loving you. I'm better at caring for my family. I'm a better person for my world when Jesus is the center of my world. Today's the day for Jesus to become the center of your world. Maybe for the first time and maybe refreshing, maybe anew. But it's through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, it's through his shed blood and broken body that we can accept this invitation to come and for Jesus to be center of all that we are. And so I invite you now to open your cup as we partake of the body and blood of Jesus. When we partake of these elements, something happens. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's more than a symbol. Something spiritual happens when we partake of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We are renewed. We are refreshed. This is why this is the family meal of God. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.